Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. For all you elk hunters out there, Chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access to your populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A Nebraska angler found what he called the catch of a lifetime last month when he stumbled upon a 90-million-year-old fish fossil in the Missouri River. Andy Moore was participating in a fishing competition when he spied what he thought was a skeleton sitting on a rock. He took a quick picture before casting his next jig, but he posted all the photos from that day on Facebook. His friend contacted him after seeing the image and told him what he'd found was much, much older than he thought. Moore called the Army Corps of Engineers and they sent out a geologist who had permission to excavate the site. Moore soon learned that what he thought was a skeleton from, quote, like a year ago, was actually a 90-million-year-old specimen known as a bulldog fish. Moore should be thankful the fish wasn't swimming around in the Missouri River on the day of his tournament. Bulldog fish were large, predatory fish of an extinct genus called Zephactinus. They could grow over 16 feet in length and are known for their large, sharp teeth that protrude outward from their upper jaw and lower jaws. Their lower jaw juts forward, making them look like the fish version of a much larger and more terrifying bulldog. A bulldog fish specimen sold for over $100,000 in 2020, but more won't have any such luck. The fossil will be dried and preserved at the Lewis and Clark Visitor Center in Crofton, Nebraska. For, according to Moore, everybody in the world to enjoy and to look at for educational purposes. Maybe that'll be some karma for Moore. And uh, he'll knock out 100K in uh, walleye fishing competition prizes over the next year. This week, we've got turkey troubles, the Klamath, Tasmanian tigers, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as you know, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. I am packing the schedule as tight as possible. 
Just got back from the First Light store opening in Haley, Idaho. Really cool space, great turnout, fun folks, and it's admittedly very nice to see all that gear in one place. Got a round of sporting clays in with Casey Hawks, who you may know as your head of customer service. At this point, old Seahawk only shoots a 28 gauge. Needless to say, the round was humbling. After the event, I drug the camper up out of the Ketchum, over Trail Creek, down the Lost, up the Divide into the Salmon Country, up the Lem High, and over the pass into Horse Prairie. Did some really fine camping along the way. Yes, the Black Series camper is making me soft. We had mezcal margaritas and tempura battered triple tail for dinner. For scientific purposes, I also battered spicy habanero pickles, carrots, and string cheese. I'll tell you, you gotta keep that one in mind for the kids. Not the habanero pickles, but the string cheese. It's a winner. Felt like I was sitting in a Wisconsin bar. One thing I really need your help with, though, is when you're camping, it's very convenient to bring a pre-made margarita mix. I have found even the expensive, quote, natural mixes, you know, that you get like co-op, hippy-dippy type of place, are disgustingly sweet. I blame triple sec. Please write in and tell me if I'm wrong. Most of the time, I just like a whole lime squeezed into my tequila or mezcal drink, a little bit of, you know, Topo Chico or something in there. That's if I'm in the mood to mix things up at all. Anyway, obviously a problem, need a solution. Please write in. Let me know if you have a good recommendation for a pre-mix or if uh, triple sec is not the devil. Gorgeous Montana night. Temps dropped down into the 50s. We were up around 7,000 feet. Shot the bow in the morning. Felt like fall. And then we had to head back into Bos Angeles. This week, I head to New Mexico with Jason Phelps. It's the first week of archery elk in New Mexico, the land of enchantment. Jason and I have never hunted together before. I'm really looking forward to talking elk calling strategy with that guy. I've used Phelps calls for a really long time now. I've known Jason a long time. I've called in a bunch of elk, but all for myself. This way it'll be way more educational to be there with a real elk talking partner. I'll fill you in on that one. But enough about me. I know you're all heading out or thinking about it. Let me know if I can help in any way. We can do a dedicated gear, tips, tactics podcast if that's helpful for you. But don't worry. I won't skip out on the conservation either. Good luck, have fun and be safe, and be courteous too. We're all out in the big elk woods for the same reason. Moving on to the hog desk. We've known for a long time that wild hogs eat turkey eggs, but a new study from Auburn University suggests that removing hogs from the landscape can have a significant immediate impact on the wild turkey population in the area. The study was conducted by Matt McDonough of the Auburn University Deer Lab and presented at last month's International Wild Pig Conference. The National Deer Association has a great write-up on McDonough's presentation, which you should check out. McDonough and his team set up four study sites in southeast Alabama to determine how turkey populations respond to hog removal. The sites ranged from 6,100 acres to 13,500 acres, and they had a camera trap for every 250 acres. One study site acted as the control, which is, you know, the spot that you leave alone to compare your, you know, messing around with on other places against. And McDonough's team worked with the USDA to trap as many hogs as they could from three other study sites. They used camera surveys to estimate the hog population at each site, and they ended up trapping more hogs in each area than they had estimated. 
After trapping all those porkers, they went back to the camera traps and started estimating turkey populations over three years from 2018 to 2021. They found that at two of the three pig removal sites, turkey populations increased significantly beyond the control area. When researchers removed 100% of the estimated hog population, turkey numbers jumped by about 70%. When they removed twice the initial hog population, they saw a staggering 190% turkey population increase. One pig removal site did not see a significant increase over the control site, but this area also had the worst hog problem of the four study locations. McDonough's study is among the first to measure the real-world benefit of hog removal on turkey populations. The study suggests that a concerted hog removal program can benefit a local turkey population, but it requires a large-scale trapping operation. Recreational hog shooting here and there isn't nearly enough to have an effect. This study doesn't explain why eliminating hogs helps turkeys, but previous research points towards a few likely causes. A 2017 study from the USDA found that hogs are responsible for about 25% of depredation events on turkey eggs. Both hogs and turkeys eat acorns, so fewer hogs means more acorns for the gobblers. McDonough also pointed out that turkey numbers increase almost immediately after hogs are removed, which suggests that turkeys just don't like being in close proximity to swine herds. When the pigs move out, the turkeys move back in. This is no silver bullet, and state game agencies in the South have to balance the competing interests of hog and turkey hunters when setting policy. It's also worth noting that the turkey numbers are declining all across the country, not just in areas with large established hog populations. But McDonough's study does offer an important piece of information that should inform some policy decisions. At the very least, if you're a landowner looking to boost your turkey numbers, setting some hog traps seems like a great place to start. Then, you know, finish with the barbecue. Moving on to the conservation desk. The best way to conserve wild places and species will always be to make conservation-minded decisions as individuals and as a society but modern technology can help make that possible, and I'm always interested in creative ways people are engaging in the conservation movement. Last month, for example, Smithsonian Magazine ran a story about a 17-year-old named Annika Puri, who had developed a clever, low-cost way to spot elephant poachers. Puri is from New York, but when she visited India four years ago, she was shocked at how much ivory jewelry and statues were for sale in Bombay. She learned that even though the ivory trade is prohibited and elephant hunting has been illegal in India since the 1970s, elephant poaching is still quite common. So Annika spent the last two years developing software that can differentiate between humans and elephants using a cheap thermal camera attached to a drone. Drones are often used by anti-poaching units, but it can be difficult to identify human poachers among the other animals on the ground. High-resolution thermal cameras are expensive but Puri's design uses a $250 FLIR 1 Pro thermal camera that plugs into an iPhone. Both camera and iPhone are attached to a drone, and her machine learning software identifies humans and elephants in real time based on their movements, which may seem, you know, like an easy thing to do if you, like I, watch a lot of bad TV and the CIA can zoom in on anything that they want, and it seems pretty reasonable to know the difference between an elephant and a person. But that's why you got to donate to conservation-minded organizations. They don't have the scratch to play with the, uh, you know, CIA, etc. Anyway, Puri's system is called the Elephant Savior. 
shortened to Elsa. Did I mention Puri is 19 years old? Elsa is still in the prototype phase, but it demonstrates how little creativity can take low-cost gear and turn it into a powerful tool to help conserve endangered species. Another high school student, if you're not feeling bad enough about the direction of your life as a 40-year-old man, not talking about myself, is hoping his technology can help drivers avoid animal collisions on the road. Vedant Srinivas is a student in Sammamish, Washington, and he developed a system called Equus. Equus uses custom optical and thermal sensors, which, when paired with artificial intelligence, detect animals when they are moving towards a road. When the system detects an animal, it sends a signal to a lighted sign, which warns drivers to keep an eye out for critters, which is great news for those of you who drive while still looking at the road and not at your iPhone. There are an estimated 2 million collisions between large animals and cars every year in the United States. According to the Federal Highway Administration, that's 2 million animals needlessly killed, 2 million drivers with wrecked cars, and hundreds of millions of pounds of wasted meat. Now here's another little bit of tech we learned about from listener A.J. Ritter. Fences are great for controlling livestock, but they're bad for migrating animals, Many species can't get over or under a barbed wire fence. Birds who hunt at night don't see them. And as we frequently cover on the Meat Eater podcast, sometimes animals get caught as they're trying to jump over. It's sort of like if someone put a bunch of those track and field hurdles between you and the refrigerator. Yeah, you could jump over them, but it's a real pain in the butt. Anyway, some ranchers are hoping to remove these hurdles by using a technology called virtual fencing. Virtual fencing is kind of like a scaled-up version of the invisible fence you keep your dog in your yard with if you're in, you know, an HOA-style neighborhood. The system uses a series of solar-powered towers that transmit signals to shock collars fitted to livestock. A rancher can use the system software to set up virtual fences that keep livestock within certain areas. Depending on the topography, each tower can read collars across 10,000 to 30,000 acres. The system is cool for a few reasons. Ranchers can see where all their livestock are in real time, and they can instantaneously change the location of the virtual fence. In theory, they could reduce the amount of cowboys out on the range by digitally herding cattle from pasture to pasture. Best of all, wildlife moving through the area are totally unaffected. If you're a rancher, I can imagine a few objections. You might not be comfortable trusting your herd to this kind of tech, If your pastures are already fenced, it's, you know, easier in the foreseeable future to mend those fences instead of ponying up $12,000 per tower to set up a virtual fence. But on the other hoof, no fences, no bird collisions, no altered migration corridors, no trying to scrounge up some skinny kid to ride shotgun to open up all the gates for you. And think of the inflated sense of value your cattle would have if you were to give each one a collar of its own. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. 
Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cal. That's meatfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Moving on to the Tasmanian tiger resurrection. Not all conservation technology is created equal. Some believe that advances in genetic engineering will enable scientists to bring extinct animals back from the dead, so to speak. You've probably heard this discussed in relation to woolly mammoths, but a new multi-million dollar project aims to recreate another famous critter, the Tasmanian tiger. Thanks to listener Granger Wade for sending this one in. A team of Australian scientists from the University of Melbourne have joined forces with a self-proclaimed de-extinction company called Colossal. 
They hope to take genetic material from a living marsupial species with similar DNA and use gene editing technology to recreate the Tasmanian tiger or, according to the BBC, quote, an extremely close approximation of it. They believe they'll have their first baby tiger within the next 10 years. That might sound well and good, but de-extinction technology has its critics. Another Australian scientist working for the Australian Centre for Ancient DNA described the technology as, quote, fairy tale science. He said this project is more about media attention for the scientists and less about doing serious science. But there are other concerns, even if we admit that the idea is theoretically possible. Dr. Stuart Pym is a professor of conservation ecology at Duke University. He's been an outspoken critic of de-extinction technology because he says it creates what he calls a moral hazard. Dr. Pym has testified before Congress, and he's heard from politicians who think it's okay to drive a species to extinction because we can just resurrect them later. In other words, we don't need to worry about destroying habitat or losing species if we can kick the can down the road and recreate the critters, in theory, later on. Now, the thylacine, or Tasmanian tiger, was the largest carnivorous marsupial of recent time. Marsupials are mammals whose young are born immature and are carried and suckled in a pouch on their mother's belly. Tasmanian tigers had a slender face that looked sort of like a fox and distinctive black stripes on the back half of their bodies. They hunted at night for wallabies and birds, and sometimes killed domestic sheep, which is why they were hunted to extinction in Tasmania. Aside from their taste for sheep, these were extremely cool critters, and they died relatively recently ago. So here's the question, is it more responsible to bring back a species that is extinct or less responsible? Right now we have the ability to change our practices in a way to prevent the need to genetically resurrect a species. If we establish that beachhead, however, would we still be willing to alter our current habits to give these animals a chance? Let me know your thoughts. A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askal at meateater.com. Moving on to the duck desk. On Friday, August 26th, the conservation and hunting group California Waterfowl announced that for the first time in history, the Klamath River Basin in Oregon and California is dry. The Lower Klamath National Wildlife Refuge was established by President Theodore Roosevelt in 1908 as the nation's first waterfowl refuge. It's one of the most important areas on the Pacific Flyway, but it's been struggling with a severe lack of water over the last 10 years. Waterfowl counts in both 2020 and 2021 at the Klamath Refuges were among the lowest ever recorded. In 2020, 60,000 waterfowl and other water birds also died from an avian botulism outbreak, which was exacerbated by low water conditions. Since the Klamath Basin is located in the middle of the Pacific Flyway, it will affect bird numbers both to the north and to the south. The immediate solution, of course, is to get regular water into the refuge but water is a touchy subject in California, especially in recent years of drought. Farmers, ranchers, and let's not forget the giant thirsty cities need water too, and regulators are also constrained by laws requiring water in areas protecting endangered species. But California waterfowl isn't asking for handouts. They've launched a campaign to purchase water from surrounding farmers and ranchers. Those water rights agreements will be structured to secure water in the refuge for perpetuity, which will hopefully stop the refuge from being subject to the highs and lows of yearly rainfall. If you'd like to contribute to this effort, 
check out calwaterfowl.org. That's C-A-L waterfowl.org. California waterfowl isn't the only group working on this issue. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service just announced that nearly $26 million from the recent bipartisan infrastructure law has been allocated for Klamath Basin restoration projects, including nearly $16 million for ecosystem restoration. Some of that money is going to groups like Ducks Unlimited, which is being given $2.6 million to address waterfowl needs specifically. They plan to use the money to improve wetland habitats through irrigation efficiencies on Lower Klamath and Tool Lake National Wildlife Refuges. These improvements will include installing pumping stations to increase the capacity to reuse and circulate water within the refuges. This is all great news, but unfortunately the problem is much bigger than just the Klamath. Meat eater Sean Weaver told me that we're in this situation because we failed to prioritize wintering waterfowl habitat throughout the West, not just in California. We're going to displace a shitload of birds with stuff like this, you know, if we don't rectify the situation. Lower Klamath and Thule Lake is just the start. You know, Great Salt Lake is well on its way to going dry, and no one's doing a damn thing about it. You know, everything that's getting done is small potatoes and and not going to fix the larger issue at hand. Weaver acknowledged that people who have built their lives in the West need water too, but we'll need to figure out a solution if we don't want Western waterfowl numbers to decline. We just can't keep letting water go. Can't just keep draining vital waterfowl habitat. Moving on to the public land desk. We're staying out west for this next story. The state of Utah has filed a lawsuit in federal court claiming that President Joe Biden's expansion of the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments is unlawful. President Obama created the original boundaries of the Bears Ears National Monument at 1.36 million acres. In 2017, President Trump reduced the size of Bears Ears by 85% and Grand Staircase Escalante by 45%. Since taking office, President Biden has restored both monuments to their original sizes, which combined stretched about 3.2 million acres. Now, Utah Attorney General Sean D. Reyes is arguing that these monuments are too big to be protected under the national monument status. All of Utah's Republican elected leaders, including several names you'll recognize who are not friendly to public lands, sign their names to the suit. The lawsuit argues that the 1906 Antiquities Act, which gives presidents the authority to create national monuments, does not allow those monuments to be as large as Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. The lawsuit points out that the Antiquities Act restricts presidents to monuments that are, quote, confined to the smallest area compatible with proper care and management of the objects to be protected. Critics of the lawsuit which include conservation and environmental groups like Earth Justice, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and the Natural Resources Defense Council, point out that presidents have used the Antiquities Act to designate large monuments many times before. In 1920, for example, the Supreme Court upheld President Teddy Roosevelt's use of the Antiquities Act to protect 800,000 acres in Arizona when he declared the Grand Canyon a national monument. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership hasn't weighed in on Utah's lawsuit, but in 2017, they published an article criticizing President Trump's decision to reduce the size of both the monuments. According to TRC President Whit Fosberg, quote, there is a right and wrong way to go about this, and the administration's decision to skirt Congress in these decisions threatens to upend 111 years of conservation in America, putting at risk the future of any monument created under the Antiquities Act. 
What's interesting is that Utah's lawsuit also suggests that the solution lies with the U.S. Congress. The suit argues that an appropriate congressional solution would collaborate with the state and federal agencies, tribal nations, and local governments to figure out the best way to conserve the habitat and cultural sites that make these monuments necessary in the first place. I'm no lawyer, but I always come down on the side of more public land, not less. Thousands of hunters and anglers use both monuments every year, and the areas protect important habitat for the species we love to pursue, even those that are really hurting, like big desert mule deer and big desert sheep. While Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante are large monuments, their size isn't unprecedented in our nation's history. It's also difficult for our public land agencies to efficiently manage these areas if their sizes change every four or eight years. President Obama established these monuments under the authority of the Antiquities Act, and, despite the additional recreational pressures a monument designation can put on areas, we at least know that they're safe from development. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, write in and let me know how I'm doing and how you're doing in your neck of the woods by sending me an email to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at meateater.com. And again, it's hunting season. Don't let your favorite road or trail get waylaid by a tipped over tree. Hustle down to your local knowledgeable steel dealer, which you can find by going to www.steeldealers.com. They're going to get you set up with what you need and not try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.